so very, very much. Thank you. Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? All God's people said, amen, amen. amen. It is. This morning, uh, let's just bask for a little bit in the wonders of his love. So turn to Romans chapter 8. If you would, the passage just read to us by James. It wasn't amazing just to listen to this passage of Scripture filled with the glories of love divine. How blessed we are in Christ. What a privilege to gather in the name of a living Savior. Wouldn't it be terrible if we were just making this up? <laughs> we're not. Because he's alive. His love's eternal. Romans chapter 8. Let me ask a question. I wonder, how many grandparents do we have here this morning? Raise your hand. Look at that. How, all right. I got a question for you. Isn't it just wonderful? <laughs> I waited a long time, but I've learned something about being grandparents. Susan has lost her mind. <laughs> she has absolutely lost her mind. And I, I watch her interact uh, with them, uh, and I think, who is this woman? <laughs> You know, I've learned something about being a grandfather. Here's why I've learned several things. One, I've learned this. The right way to say no and the wrong way to say no. Now you say, what's the difference? Well, the difference is this. The right way to say no is the way I say no. <laughs> the wrong way to say no to my grandchildren, it's the way my son-in-law says no. That's wrong. Okay. <laughs> when he says no, there's just something in me that says, are you saying no to my grandchild? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It just, it's just a little strange. But seriously, as parents and grandparents... Almost always when we say no, they are, they're no's of love, aren't they? They're no's of love. And this morning, what I want us to focus on are the no's of God's love. The no's of God's love. Now, in this incredible chapter of Romans chapter 8. There's three wonderful no's that are really the outline to the passage, I think. There's this no of God's love. No to condemnation. Verse 1. There is therefore now, what? No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's the no to condemnation. And then there's the no to isolation. The Bible tells us in verses 26 and 27, even though 
We have trials. We have suffering, difficulty. Yet we are not alone. The Holy Spirit is with us. Never leaves us. Never forsakes us. He, he intercedes for us. He helps us. One thing a Christian can never be is really alone. Because he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. There's the no to condemnation, the no to isolation. This morning, we focus on the third great no of God's love, and that is no to separation. <laughs> there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul, as he is trying to settle us as believers in this amazing love of Christ, he asks four unanswerable questions. There are four unanswerable questions, but the answer is understood. And the answer out of that love of God is what? No. Four unanswerable questions. The wonder of God's love is his no to these questions. Now, let's look at this passage and listen to these four unanswerable questions, which in a sense are answered by God's great no. The first question is this. It's found in verse 31. Would you look there? Our passage this morning, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? There's the question. If God be for us, who can be against us? I remember a story about Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War. Someone asked him early in the war, Mr. President, do you think the Lord is on our side? And he said, that's not really what concerns me. The question I'm concerned about is this, are we on the Lord's side? Thank God in the spiritual battle that rages, and all of us know this battle that rages, we can know God is on our side. We can know that. We're surrounded by enemies. Paul mentions in this passage and earlier, three enemies, two are on the outside, one's on the inside. Three dreadful enemies I have, you have. Two on the outside, one on the inside. On the outside is the world, the world's system, the world's values. On the outside is the devil and all his mobilized, energized, demonized forces of hell. Those are the enemies on the outside, but I have an enemy on the inside. The enemy within is what's really a traitor. A, the Bible calls it our flesh. Not, not this skin and muscle, but our flesh. This, this old 
brain, this old thinking process is that even though I'm a Christian, still there's a traitor within me, my enemy, to my love for Christ. I have three enemies. You have three enemies. The world, the devil, and the traitor of your flesh. But these three terrible enemies are overcome by the truth of four words. Just four words overcome these three enemies. What are the four words? God is for us. No matter how strong the enemy outside of you, the world system, no matter how powerful those mobilized, demonized, energized forces of hell, no matter how great and powerful is the pull of the flesh in your life, yet you have this victory. God is for you as his child. He's placed all his power upon us, his love. I remember when I was a little boy growing up in Indiana, many of you know, kind of poor section of town, a somewhat of a factory kind of village, all these little houses, tough streets, mean streets. Kind of scary when you're a little kid. But you know, I found something when I was walking with my dad, all that went away. I mean, I sort of, instead of being like this, I'm like, I'm walking here. I'm walking here. Why? Because my dad, the security, that even if maybe this neighborhood's a little scary, I've got dad. <laughs> and I'm secure in his love. My friend, listen. The old song is true. We never walk alone, right? We never walk alone. In any situation, he's for us. In any challenge, there's someone bigger than that challenge. It's the infinite God. But do we base this just on faith? You know what some people say, say, oh yeah, that's what you Christians believe. You just kind of work up that faith every Sunday. You know, go whistling a happy tune whenever you're afraid. Jiminy cricket theology, you know. No. The certainty of God's love for us is not based just on faith. It's based on fact. Fact. What fact? This fact, verse 32 he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not also with him graciously give us all things? The absolute fact of God's love for you is not in your feelings, it is not in your situation at any moment. The absolute fact of God's love for you, my friend, is written in red, the red blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, who delivered himself, and God yielded up his son for you. That's how much he loves you. So if I have that fact, that's a fact. 
That's a fact. If I have that fact, then what does that answer? Well, let's talk about that. It answers my doubts. Answers my doubts. How can I know that he loves me today? How can I know that? Well, here's a helpful way. Here's what I do sometimes. I just insert my name in Scripture. Why don't you insert your name in verses 31 and 32? See if it helps you with your doubts. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for Sam Paulson, search your name there, who can be against Sam Paulson? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for Sam Paulson, how will he not also with him freely give Sam Paulson all things? Put your name in the promises of God. Make them yours. He's not just talking in generality. These promises are yours to claim. Make them your own. Stand on the promises of God. Don't just sing the song. Stand there. It answers my doubts. This fact answers my dilemmas. What do I do when I don't understand? When I look at the stage of my life and it's a total mess. When nothing seems right, everything seems confused. Up is down, down is up. How do I know God loves me? I don't look at my circumstances. I look at the cross. And whatever is going on in my life is happening in front of the cross of Christ Jesus, my Lord, who loved me and gave himself for me. You'll never find security in the events of your life. You'll never find security in the happenings of your life. You find security, eternal security, in the knowledge, the fact that God loved you so much he did not spare his own son. There's security. Don't look in yourself. There's no security there. My friend, inside of me is a whole of darkness where there is no bottom. When I want security, I don't look in here. I look to the face of my Savior who loved me and gave himself for me, who died for sinners. And I say, well, I qualify for that. What did John Newton say? The author of Amazing Grace, what did he say on his deathbed? Here's what he said. He said, I know two things. I am a great sinner, and Jesus is a great Savior. That's the two things I know. This fact of God love answers my desires. What can I trust? If God did not spare his own son but delivered him up for me, how will he not freely give me all things? I love what the evangelist years ago, Dwight L. Moody, said. He talked about the, the jeweler, Mr. Tiffany. He said, you know, if Mr. Tiffany were to give me the largest diamond he had in his store, I wouldn't be afraid to ask for a paper bag to carry it in. If God did not spare 
his son for you. How can we imagine he's holding back on us? If he was going to hold back anything, he would have held back Jesus. But if he didn't hold back Jesus, there's nothing he's holding back. Freely give us all things. Does that mean give us whatever we want? No, God can't give us everything we want. Just like grandpa can't give grandchildren everything they want. But he will give everything I need for his purpose. What is his purpose? Verse 29. To conform us to the image of his son. God will hold back nothing to make us the most fully rounded, complete, satisfied person we can be, which is to be like Jesus. To grow, to be more like Christ, that is the blessed life. That answers my desire. His great plan. God's for us. Listen, God's for us. Would you say that with me? God is for us. Would you say this? God is for me. God is for me. Yes. First question, unanswerable question. If God is for us, who can be against us? Answer, no one. No one. Second question. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? Verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Justifies means declares not guilty based on fact. Let me ask you a question. Don't you sometimes get frustrated with the Supreme Court of the United States? Come on. I'm telling you. At times, that court gives me a pain I can't locate. <laughs> but I'll remind you something. Listen, listen. There is really only one Supreme Court. And there's one judge on that Supreme Court. And that one judge on the Supreme Court is the Honorable God Almighty, who's Verdicts are final and they are never appealed. Christian friend, you and I have a record in that court. If you are a Christian, you have a record in that Supreme Court. And you know what that record reads? Here's what it reads. If you're a Christian, not guilty. That book which is filled with all the awful things you've ever done, thought, all the things you should have done, you didn't do, all the things you're going to do that you haven't done yet, Jesus Christ paid in full that debt. And on the basis of the fact of what Jesus did for you on the cross, for the Christian who believes in Jesus as his substitute, 
the account in the Supreme Court says not guilty. Based on fact, it's justice. God in justice can forgive your sins because he didn't pass over your sins. He punished your sins in Jesus. And that's where our security is. God, in his justice, because of Christ, declares us not guilty. And who can bring a charge against the one who is one of God's chosen ones? Who can bring the charge? The idea here is, would, would Jesus... Of course, Satan does. Satan's accuser of the brothers and sisters. He accuses us all the time. His very name means accuser, slanderer. But when he accuses you for, before God, how does God answer his accusation against you? The one at his right hand who bears in his body the scars of Calvary's love. Paid in full. Well he did this and this and this and this. The devil says. God can say. You don't even know. I'm infinite. I'm, I'm infinite in my knowledge. I know everything she has done. He has done. I know yet what they're going to do. But my son paid in full. They're dead. Devil can't accuse you. It's paid in full. Every sin. Would Jesus accuse you? Would he accuse you? Absolutely not. Someone says, well, that sounds like a pretty good thing. I guess if that's a situation, then I can sin all I want. And you know what? Listen carefully. That's right. You can sin all you want. But if you have experienced the saving love of Christ in your heart and His Holy Spirit lives within you, you don't want to sin. Doesn't mean you don't sin, you do. But you don't want to sin. Why? Because you've been not just declared not guilty... Not just a legal term. You've been regenerated by the Spirit of Christ. You have a new nature. The Holy Spirit has made you new within. He's given you a new standing. And He's given you a new nature. So the things you used to not want, now you love them. And the things that you used to love, so now you don't want them. Why? I think Jesus had a term for it. He said... Born again. My friend, if your wanter has never been changed, you need to inspect the hope of your salvation. Do you sin? Yes. But a person who longs to sin, something's wrong. My friend, if you know Christ, it's... It doesn't make you want to sin. What does it do? It makes you want to serve. What is it? The love of Christ compels me. 
It's not the fear of Christ that compels me to serve him. It's not the dread of the judgment that compels me to serve him. What compels me to serve the Lord? What is the greatest incentive? It's this. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives within me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. This is the work of the Lord. Then the question, well, what about my doubts? I have doubts. Why the doubts? Well, a couple of reasons. Sometimes we have doubts because of sin in our lives. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ is cleansing us of our sin. What's that mean? The awareness of the cleansing blood of Christ is upon us if you walk in the light. But if you walk in the darkness, that fellowship is broken. Why do we have doubts? Sometimes because we are walking in sin. Secondly, sometimes we have doubts because we're listening to the prosecutor rather than the judge. Satan accuses us to God. And we listen to Satan rather than listening to what God says in his word. And what God says in his word is this. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. We are declared not guilty. We are righteous. This is what God says about us. So what do you do when Satan attacks you and you have these terrible doubts? Don't argue with Satan. Don't argue with him. Don't do that. Just point him to Jesus and step out of the argument. And say, you have to take this up with management. (laughs) He won't like that answer. Don't focus on the blight of your character. We all have blights on our character. Focus on the blood of Jesus Christ. And say, God, I don't understand it. And I certainly don't deserve it. But on the basis of Jesus, I agree with you. I am justified. I'm not guilty. It's not wrong to say about yourself what God says about you. You say, what sounds boastful. You're not boasting yourself. He that boasts, let him boast in the Lord. You're boasting on Jesus. If God is for us, who can be against us? No one. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? No one. Charge won't stick because of Jesus. Third question, verse 34. Who is he to condemn? Who is he to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, 
who indeed is interceding for us. Uh, the, the thought Paul has here seems to be this. There's only one person who could possibly condemn us. The only person who could possibly condemn us would be Christ himself. But then he says, this is why that can happen. Here are four reasons Paul says Jesus could never condemn you. What are they? Number one, he died for you. It is he. Will Jesus condemn you? Christ has died. The Bible says in John chapter 13 that Jesus, having loved his ones who were in the world, he loved them all the way to the end. All the way until he said, it is finished. And my friend, when Jesus rose from the dead, that heart was still the same. He loved his people after his resurrection. Even the ones who'd gone astray like Peter. What did he say? Go tell my disciples and make sure what? You tell Peter. When the heart of Jesus started beating again that Sunday morning, it was beating still with that Calvary love. And it always will. That heart of Jesus is still beating in that body. It's still throbbing with his love for his people. Jesus would never accuse us. Why? He died for us. He rose again. You see, someone can say, well, if a Christian goes to hell, it's over Jesus' dead body. That's not really right. You know why? Jesus isn't dead. Newsflash, he's alive. And if Jesus died for you when you were yet a sinner, do you think now that he's alive, he's changed his mind about you? He's alive forever. And you can never perish. Why? I love what an old country preacher said. He said this, brilliant theology in a very homespun way. What did he say? You can't Drown your feet if your head's above water. We may be underwater sometimes. Our head, Jesus, is not. He's alive. He's alive. He rose again. Why will Jesus never forsake us? He died for us. He rose again. He's at the right hand of God. Why do you think Jesus is at the right hand of God? He's seated there as your representative. Your name is graved, engraved on his hands and feet. You're on his heart. He's your high priest. He is seated there. As our priest. And what is he doing? Number four, he is interceding for us. Can you imagine how sweet it is when somebody comes and puts their hand on your shoulder and says, I'm praying for you. Isn't that sweet? But imagine to know that Jesus in heaven is praying for you. He's interceding 
He's your advocate. He's on your side. By the Holy Spirit, He's your advocate beside you. As the risen Son of God, He's on the throne before you. He's constantly praying for us. So who is there to condemn us? What's the answer? No one. No one. True story. During the Korean War, there was a missionary in Korea. His name was Harold Vocal. Vocal. He became an army chaplain and he was assigned to the prisoner camps where the North Korean soldiers were kept. There were terrible riots and there was much rebellion in these camps. They told him he was very foolish to do it, but he went as a chaplain into these camps. He knew Korean fluently, so the first thing he started to do was tell these North Korean soldiers, I want to teach you a, story, a, a song. And he taught them a song in Korean. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And he would get a few of them singing that. <laughs> and then he would tell them a story about Jesus. And he would go from camp to camp and he would teach them the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. Then he'd tell them a little bit more about Jesus. And he did this throughout the Korean War. And at the end of the Korean War, there were tens of thousands of communist soldiers from North Korea who did not want to go back, but asked to stay in South Korea and learn more about Jesus. But some of them said, we'll go back and we'll be witnesses of Jesus in our land. And there's a church in North Korea today. Don't you think for a moment there's not. Why? The love of Jesus Christ. overwhelmed their hearts last question our first one if God is for us who can be against us no one who shall bring a charge to God's elect no one who is he who condemn us no one fourth question who shall separate us from the love of Christ no one and no thing and in order to prove this, you know what Paul does? He comes up with a list of 17 possibilities of things that he asks, can this separate us from the love of Christ? 17 possible answers. And every one of them doesn't work. <laughs> because... Nothing is able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. He divides these things into two categories. First category is things that are physical, things that are emotional. And then a, third, a second category, things that are spiritual. 
So Paul says, let's name some physical things. Could they separate us? Let's name some emotional things. Could they separate us? Let's name some spiritual things. Could they separate us? Paul says there's nothing physical or emotional that can separate us from God's love. Tribulation can't do it. Can tribulation? Tribulation here is a word that has the idea of pressure. Pressure. Anybody know pressure? All kinds of pressure. Financial pressure, physical pressure, emotional pressure. But no pressure can suppress the love of Jesus Christ. Can distress do it? What does distress mean? The word distress here means to be in a narrow place. A narrow place. It means to be hemmed in. Anybody ever felt hemmed in? Anybody feel that way this morning? The the walls, it feels like the walls of my life are, are, are... are pressing in upon me, closing around me? Does Jesus not understand? Does he not understand my distress? Oh, I think Jesus knows a little bit about distress, don't you? When in Gethsemane, which means olive press, he was so pressed with what was going to happen the next day. It was like, Sweat like drops of blood came out of him. He, he would have died in the garden if, if it hadn't been for the angels that ministered to him. Jesus knows a little bit about pressure, distress, persecution. What is persecution? Listen carefully. Persecution is suffering inflicted by others because of our relationship with Christ. Persecution is not just the results of saying something stupid. Persecution is suffering inflicted by others because of our relationship with Christ. And some of you online, some of you here, you're experiencing persecution right now. The loss of invitations that you used to get because of your faith in Christ. The rejection of friends. Veiled threats at work if you're not careful about your faith and keeping it to yourself and on Sunday. Mispromotions that just happen to not come your way. Opposition of family. Some of you, your own family, have become your enemy. Because of your faith. My friend, can I tell you something? Remember, very often, the frown of the world is the smile of heaven. Make sure you look at it the right way. What did Jesus say? When you are persecuted for my name, what? Be depressed? Gripe? No. Rejoice. And be exceedingly glad because they persecuted the prophets the same way who were before you. When you're persecuted for following God, it's not easy, but you're in mighty fine company. Rejoice because people could 
know the real truth about you. And how many of us want that? No. If we suffer, let's suffer as a Christian. It's been given to us, the Bible says, Philippians chapter 1, not only to believe in Christ, but also to what? Suffer for him. What did Jesus say? You must through much tribulation, persecution, enter the kingdom. But be of good cheer. What? I have overcome the world. What comes out of persecution sometimes? This could come to you. Listen, brothers and sisters, we're sitting here, some of us thinking about lunch, worried that the Methodists are getting ahead of us. <laughs> what comes to people out of persecution at times? Famine, hunger. But hunger can never take away the manna in your heart. Nakedness, ill-clothed, brothers and sisters around the world who are not clothed well because of persecution. But my friend, let me tell you, they're clothed in righteousness. Peril. That means to be exposed to danger from treachery. But there is a more secure place than any place of treachery, and that's knowing you're doing the will of God. Regardless of the lies people tell about you. When you know in your heart the truth, thank God for that. The safest place you can be is in the will of God. My friend, you are immortal in the will of God. You're not leaving here until the Lord is ready. And when he's ready, you're going to the Father's house. Oh, friend, all this in heaven too. My word. But even if he leads you to the sword... And for tens of thousands of our brothers and sisters and millions who've gone before us, it is the sword of martyrdom they've experienced. Even if you experience martyrdom, verse 36, if you're counted by authorities to be like sheep killed all the day long, sheep to be slaughtered, are you defeated? Verse 37. No. In all these things we are what? More than conquerors. Paul created a word there. You see that word? More than conquerors. Paul created a word. The word for conqueror or victory is Nike. Nike. He created a word. Hooper Nike. <laughs> It's like swoosh to the second power. <laughs> I'm glad you laughed at that. I thought it was pretty good too when I thought of it. I, you know, we go around. Yesterday I was working on this message and, I, and Susan said, that's a dirty jacket. I said, I know, but it's got a swoosh on it. <laughs> Maybe 
has a swoosh, but it needs to be swished, she told me. So it went in the dirty clothes. <laughs> We're more than conquerors, super conquerors, through him who loved us. It's not, look what we've done. It's like, no, look what he's done. He's convinced that nothing physical, nothing emotional can take us away from the love of Christ. And finally, nothing spiritual can separate us from the love of Christ. Listen to this. Verses 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are our spiritual foes. Death is the final enemy, but that beast has been defanged by Jesus. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Life, sometimes life and the assaults in life are greater than death itself. Life is filled with dangers. But what does Jesus say we have in him? Present tense. We have eternal life. There's nothing in this life that can take away your eternal life. It's not future. It's a present possession. He that believes in the Son is having, present tense, everlasting life. It's already started. We're just going to graduate into the fullness of it one day in his presence. Not even spiritual warfare can separate us from the love of Christ. Angels, principalities, powers. Do you see that? Angels here is fallen angels, demons. Principalities means rulers in the spiritual dark places. Powers means spiritual authorities. What's he describing here? The organized, mobilized, demonized beings that serve Satan. But listen, their master isn't Satan. Their master is Jesus Christ. He's the master of every demon. Do not make God out of the devil. The devil is no God. There's one God, the Lord God Almighty. And we're going to heaven to be with him. And that devil is going to hell forever. He's defeated. Things present, things to come. The passing of time. Time is passing. Time is fleeting. Life gets harder, it seems, at times. Life changes, things are changing, but God is changeless. Never changes. Nor height, nor depth. You know what this means? This refers to astrology. In those times, a, a, a star would reach the height 
in the night sky. Then at times it would reach the depth in the night sky. Height and depth. And they would base their plans, the pagans, on the height of their star or the depth of their star. That's where we get the word disaster. You know what that means? Bad star. Bad star. Things haven't changed much, my friend. There's something in this country that's read more frequently than the Bible. Do you know what it is? The horoscope. Horror scope. <laughs> Don't be fooled by that baloney. My friend, let me tell you something. There's one star that is your star, the bright and morning star. And Bethlehem's star still shines on people who seek the Lord Jesus Christ. Forget this business about you're at risk over demonic forces or this crazy zodiac idea. My friends, there is nothing any other created thing. Do you know what that means? There's only one that is uncreated. Who is the only uncreated one? God. And if God is for you, nothing that has been created can overcome the one who is loved by the uncreated one. You got this? Everything is created except the uncreated Lord God who loved you so that he gave his only begotten son that you might have eternal life with him. And if he is for you, nothing physical, nothing emotional, nothing spiritual, nothing can separate you from the love of the uncreated King of kings and Lord of lords. Where is God's love? Where do you experience God's love? Listen, listen carefully. Don't you miss this. This love is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is love. But you experience his love personally in Jesus, through Jesus, and because of Jesus. God's love for you is in Jesus. It's through Jesus. It's because of Jesus. And you know what Paul said in verse 38? I am persuaded. I'm convinced on the basis of God's love in Christ that nothing can separate me from him. Now here's the question. Are you persuaded? Are you sure? Two songs. Which song is yours this morning? 
Which song will be yours forever? Listen, which song? Here's one song. Please listen to me. Almost persuaded. Now to believe. Almost persuaded. Christ to receive. It seems now some soul to say, Go, Spirit, go thy way. Some more convenient day, on thee I'll call. Almost persuaded, harvest is past. Almost persuaded, doom comes at last. Almost cannot avail. Almost is but to fail. Sad, sad, that bitter wail for eternity. Almost, but I'm lost. Oh, my friend, don't be almost persuaded. Be convinced by the nail prints in his body and flee to Jesus. Don't speak of a better time. Today is the day of salvation. Don't boast of tomorrow. Now is the time. Turn from your sin and your self-reliance and trust in Jesus. Take hold of eternal life in Christ. And if you do, here's a song you'll sing. And you'll sing it now and forever. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. He's a wonderful Savior. I want you to know how wonderful it is. Come to Jesus right now. Father, help us to never lose the wonder of it all. That you spared not your own son. You delivered him up for me. And through him you've given all things. Lord, I pray and I plead by your spirit that this morning people will be fully persuaded that Jesus is worth everything. And they will come to Christ. 
trusting in what He has done. Not what they can do, but what He has done. May they come to Christ. And may, Lord, our theme be in our life. Blessed assurance. It's in Jesus. Thank you. We can sing that now. We'll sing it forever. May we not just sing it in church. May we tell it wherever we go. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen.